And while I'm with you guys, since many of you are grandparents, I thought it'd be pretty, it would be a smart time to say, uh, I'm, I'm hopefully about eight to ten years away from being a grandfather myself. That's my goal. That's my goal. That'll put, that'll put maybe my, my oldest son having a child around 25 years old. So you think that could happen? So while I'm with some, some people who may be in the grandparent season of life, recommendations for me. Are there any? Pa Do I look like a papa? You think that could work? Any other good ones? Poppy? Pop, pop, all right. Ashley, you taking notes back there? Well, good. And look, if you ever have any good names that you're thinking about, I have about one decade to decide. Okay, so just let me know. Fill me in if you come up with any good grandpa names that see you around the church. Um, you know, one thing I've noticed as I've watched my mom uh, season in life is that she's only gotten better by picking up all these things like sewing and quilting. It seems like her craftsmanship and her ability to do things just gets better. But I got to tell you, is it the same for men as they get older? think men get better as they get older? Because when I look around and look at women, I think, man, they just get better and better and better. Guys seem to sit on their couch longer and longer and longer. What's going on with that? Anyone else notice that? Do not raise your hand. <laughs> well, um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Just give you a little bit about myself. If you guys... Uh, Bible and are turning again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're turning to a few different scriptures today, but um, it's my wife back here, one of the brethren, and they came and raised me. And uh, we have four children, three boys and a girl, ages 14, 12, 11, and 7. And uh, for some reason, my daughter is the most aggressive of them all. Any, any, any reasons why you think that may be with three big brothers? Um, so that's just a little bit about us. Uh, I'm in the restaurant business. That's what I do for a living. And uh, we serve donuts, sandwiches, and coffee. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we do that in New Orleans, in Metairie, and also Baton Rouge, and then also Las Vegas. We have a few locations out there. So a brief bio about me, but we'll get into some scripture. I understand you guys have been hearing about the, uh, the armor of God. And so my mom asked me to talk bit about the breastplate of righteousness today. And so uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, I'll just read if you'd like to read along with me. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. When I hear the whole armor of God, I get a picture in my mind of like maybe a gladiator. Maybe just someone who's got, who's ready for battle. And uh, yeah, verse 10. Uh, so putting on the whole armor of God, and it goes on to say, um, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, when I hear that, i got to be honest with you. When I was younger, I, I remember specifically reading those verses, I don't know, maybe in my late teens or early 20s. And I remember being jarred, like excited, about this idea that we could dress with the armor of God and that there will be evil days if I have this armor on, that I'll be able to withstand it. And I'm not, I mean, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not much removed, 15, 18, 20 years from that way of thinking that I remember, but just the little bit of life I've experienced, it doesn't feel like I'm dragging those attire. And when I, when I imagine someone putting on a helmet and a shield and a sword and a breastplate and just guarded up, When I'm a young man, I remember thinking, I'm still young, but younger, I remember thinking, yes, and man, I could take the devil out. But once I've been through a little bit of life, I'm not as fired up and excited and charged about scriptures like that. Not that there's any less truth or any less encouragement, but maybe, maybe the storms of life have set in a little bit, and I realize, whoa, this is this is tough stuff. And it's not just about being on the offensive like a lot of times, but it feels like I'm on the defensive. It feels like, man, thank God I, I have him surrounding me because I feel like maybe sometimes without him, I don't know what I do, but it doesn't feel like I got my sword out and ready and sometimes ran on the ground with a shield kind of just over it, hoping, you know, to get through whatever I need to get through. And I think with life, just as I've experienced it, it, it we tend to feel like that. And I feel a lot less like a gladiator than I once did. I feel a little bit more relatable to a story in Genesis. And, and it, it talks about righteousness, but what, what feels a little bit more relatable for me is this interaction that God has with Abraham. And it's in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. And I'll just read this. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Man, it's easier for me to think about instead of me raising up one this year, it's easier for me to think about God who is actually my shield. I am your reward, or I'm sorry, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said this, and this is where it's relatable. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said to him, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And this is the breastplate of righteousness is what we're talking about. And, and so he, Abram, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. You know, it feels a little bit 
always easy to forgive, but to believe this equation in scripture that says hey, breastplate of righteousness is about having faith to believe now, it's also very difficult at times, isn't it to believe God and through storms and seasons of life it's difficult to say man, are you really and Abram is just voicing his difficulty and saying, you've told me that I'm going to have an offspring as numerous as the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky, but God, I don't even have a son. And and he says, hey, trust me, you will. And look at the stars once again and see if you can count them because your fields will be that many one day. And this is all Abram did. He didn't do anything, per se, right? He didn't go to war. He didn't go to battle. He didn't figure it out on his own. But you know what he did? He something about strapping on this breastplate of righteousness that makes you act like you're trusting God in this moment. You know, one, uh, I think of two young men who slept on my couch through seasons of life uh, that were very, particularly, they were very, very difficult to handle. And one of them I went to school with, uh, high school, and, and saw him through this kind of dating relationship with this girl, and, and they got married, and living with me and my wife for three years for a season of time, sleeping on my couch because his marriage just fell apart. He was unfaithful to his wife, you know, and I, I remember sitting across the kitchen table from this guy, a lot of conversations, and he was telling me about his, basically his struggles through the years, and it looked like, man, things were going in the right direction, and then all of a sudden, things were exposed, and it looked like he was in love with you know, God stepped in at the right time, and somehow, in a way that's supernatural, brought this family back together. And and I bet you, for him in those moments, because I know it was for me, it was it was hard to believe that God was going to honor his commitment. It did. It really did not look like it was going to happen. And most definitely, he deserved to be walked out. wife forgive him, but you know what he did do? He put his faith that if anything would make this thing work, he made this thing right. And in a way, he put on the breastplate of righteousness, believing that God would do it again. Uh, another friend of mine that doesn't end uh, with a real happy story, but he was, uh, this was a guy as a young man, I, I mean, he was a teenager, and I, I had been mentoring, uh, discipling spent a lot of time with him, he also ended up sleeping on our couch for for a season of time. And I had lunch with him the other day, actually, and we got to spend some time together. And and, uh, the reason he was on my couch is because his wife did to him the same thing that another friend did to him as well. And they were only married for about a year. And I remember I was in their wedding, and I actually was a a centerpiece, at least producing them. And uh, things seemed to be turns out through their whole relationship she had done some bad things related to their marriage and unfaithfulness and I remember being in his house and him him just looking at me with this face of like despair just what am I how am I supposed to respond what do I do 
we know even now, he has now backed himself away and his proclamation has found no traction anywhere. He doesn't even exist. And if he is there, he's certainly not good. What I see about Irenaeus is that he just doesn't have faith in God being able to use him to spread the truth and heal the broken So in a way, he's not walking with a breastplate of righteousness on. And righteousness sounds like it's something I am or something I've done or something I've brought to the table. It's right living and it's holiness and it's, it's me, it's my identity. But what we find in scripture, uh, we find that righteousness was given to Abraham on account of that person believing that God could do something supernatural. And the scripture is filled, filled with stories of different types of people. People who seem to sometimes put on the breastplate of righteousness and take it off. Put it on and take it off. And I got to tell you, that feels like me oftentimes. And if I'm just I was just thinking through scripture about Abram and wouldn't wouldn't it be great if the movie ended right there. Hey Abram, won't you just look out at it? and he says, "Yes, God, I believe and then he says, it's accounted to you as righteousness. And wouldn't it be great that he just walks off into the sunset and you just see behind him maybe the thousands of people following who are his heirs. Wouldn't it be great? But I was just thinking through Abram's origin and then kind of fast forwarding it. And you know, it doesn't sound like it ends with a sunset oftentimes. He, had to, he was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, if you remember that story, where he finally was given that son. And then God said, and now I'm going to take him from you. That doesn't sound like an easy time to have that breastplate of righteousness on. Or how about eventually that son Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob, he thought that he lost his most beloved son. His sons came back and said, your most beloved son has been killed. We're so sorry. And here's his coat. This is just a little bit after Abram was told, hey, you one day, look at stuff out there. One day it's all going to be in your family. You're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be so good. But man, the story of scripture doesn't feel like it undoes itself in a way that's so easy. And he goes on, Joseph, that son was eventually, obviously he was sold by his brothers, not killed, but sold to be a slave. So all the descendants that were supposed to be so exciting that God was going to make his people are now betraying one another and sending them into slavery. And Joseph, here's a, here's a good one. Joseph brings his family to Egypt for a joyful family reunion. One day, Joseph, is he finds his family, his 11 brothers come and see him. And a long story short, he brings all of his family to Egypt. And you think, man, finally, something great could happen. A family reunion. Pharaoh, the king of the world, essentially, at that time, he embraces and accepts. And you got to think to yourself that Isaac, Jacob, and, who, and you know, all the way down, they probably, if you look back, they would say, this is the one we were looking for. Right? But it's just one generation later, you see Pharaoh who's raised up. So it gets all about the story of Joseph and who he was. It gets all about the goodness that the brothers Pharaoh had shown. And instead of bringing them into, them into the house of Pharaoh, he makes them and all of their descendants slaves in the nation of Egypt. Because God just can't let them go. 
yourself there. You have to think back and you have to say, And Moses one day finally, out of Egypt, he's continuing on with that story, delivers them from that slavery. And you've got to think once again, maybe not. But then they end up facing Red Sea with the army of Pharaoh behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. And then God does a miracle and they get to the other side and they've got to be saying, finally, I need to go through the wilderness for another 40 years, traveling and journeying and thinking to themselves, seems if you follow the story of the Israelites, they lost belief, faith, hope, trust in who God was. Who he said he was and what he said he would do. Does that sometimes feel like that? I've not lived a lot of years, but I can tell you, I know that there are seasons in my life when I slide it on and I put hope and faith and courage and belief and then all of a sudden it's off and I say gosh I really can't believe that God really loves me and so my journey feels a lot like the journey that I see in the scripture and and then there's this moment of silence you know these moments of silence and sometimes you feel like man I just can't have you ever been in a moment of silence where it feels like I normally don't let this moment of silence go this is starting to too long. Well, how about this? At the end of kind of the story of the Israelites where the prophets are speaking kind of this whole historical time where there's a lot of language coming from these particular people who are called by God to speak to those people. It's this thing they remember and all they're doing is remember, remember, remember. This is who God said he is. This is who God says you should be. And then all of a sudden there's this moment of silence. just kind of read a little bit here and then we're going to wrap up. So Luke chapter 1. I'm sure it was extremely difficult to believe God in the middle of centuries of silence. Okay, so where this, the, the, the voice of God seemed to be subdued. The breastplate of righteousness probably in a lot of people that again, kind of their faith and belief that God would do amazing and great things and redeem them and save them. Bet you in a lot of ways, kind of as a metaphor, that breastplate of righteousness was not enough. But then you have another moment in verse 11. God introduces us to a man, to some people who seemingly still believe in God. Verse 11. And there appeared to him, and this is speaking of Zechariah of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar in the midst. So this guy is going in to the temple. 
Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I got to tell you, just it would be startling to see an angel, right? But imagine 400 years of silence where nothing had been going on supernaturally, seemingly. It seems like maybe if there ever was something that happened, it just happened a long time ago. It's not for here, it's not for now. So it's startling enough, but then there's got to be like, for that man, sense of excitement and he says um, but the angel said to him in verse 13 do not be afraid Zechariah for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name Jesus John the Baptist so we get some insight into of years have gone by and 400 years of silence and in the middle of all that and then God shows up to another day and so I've heard your prayer and you will your your wife will bear a son and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience and the wisdom of the just to bring back the Lord God answers probably the most two sacred prayers that that man could pray, which is for his family and for the kingdom of God. And the angel of the Lord, which we find out in a moment is Gabriel, shows up and says, hey, dude, guess what? I'm here to tell you the truth. God is going to give you two great sons. He's going to give your wife a son, and he's, the son is going to of descendants, sand of the shore, stars in the sky, angels of God coming to save us. And I think Zacharias feeling like maybe he was coming in fear and saying, can I, I relate to this? This feels like life to me. And where are you? And then he shows up and then there's this kind of reviving heartbeat, but watch what happens right next to it. In verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is, adva is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. He asks, if an angel showed up to you in the middle of the house of God and speaks verbally to you and just says, hey, don't think anything about me in this miracle that you're seeing right now, but you're going to have a son and the son's going to do, wouldn't you think the guy would just be like, Like, if I'm seeing this, and you're talking to me, then what could not happen unless this happened? Kindness is the answer. Kindness is what God wants to do often. I remember a particular decision in my life where another verse he says and behold you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my word which will be fulfilled in their time here's the good news God still does his work even when at times I don't understand it travel through the Israelites' origin all the way up until this man right here, there's one common denominator that is there. They believed what God had given them. But you know what's another, what another common denominator is through all of those many years? God's determination to do miracles. That's good news. Six months later, the angel, the same one, up to another man and begins to talk to him and his little wife. Let's pick up real quick, last scripture, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I love with an exclamation and with a declaration, there's some passion, there's some excitement behind this declaration. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for God has shown his power and does things in women, in men supernaturally but I'm like 99 years old, my wife is like 75 years old, this is the story we've been hearing for a long time how are you ever going to give me a son fast forward 
this man and have a kid. And man, if we could rewind and talk about the other barren women in the scripture that somehow God defeats over and over and over. No help of a doctor, no help of another person just continues to rattle the cages of humanity and say, I can do something Something supernatural, something you cannot expect. And then he shows up again to a woman, and the woman has a proper response. She goes on to say, like, hey, essentially, I believe in you, but I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. I don't know what you're saying. And, and this is the culmination of all of the questions that have ever been asked for all of these thousands of years, like, just asks the same question that every person for all of humanity has always been asking without seemingly a perfect answer coming back. And the answer is I'm going to have a son and his name is Jesus. And he will be the solution to this challenge of yours. To all of the many questions that the Israelites asked for so very long. And God did it through supernatural ways again Elizabeth took the lead and had to wait in her son's lives and came out precisely what God predicted. I gotta imagine that Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't think that eventually their son's head would be on a platter for the king, but rather things would be before him and follow him. His words of truth, and then those kings would be turning their attention toward who we would one day know as Jesus Christ. I bet you Elizabeth had that kind of expectation. I bet you it wasn't But I bet she would have spoken to those kings. I don't think she would have fast forwarded and said, well, probably in about 30 or so years, you're going to be in a situation where he's going to be like the rest of them. He's actually going to be falsely accused on the cross, and he will whip every chance he can. So wait, 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 wait. God sees fit to create ways to bring others in. And ultimately, it comes to this place where Mary, you've got to imagine, is seeing her son and is probably asking the question that Elizabeth was asking. son dies, what's going to happen with all the promises that you have made? Remember where your name is? God will see this son out again. If you remain walking in the same path, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with this man? What we know about the story of Jesus is that he remained faithful. That's why the story of Isaac sacrifice that God gets is for Jesus. Because he resurrected and he had once again faithful faith in his story. So this is my encouragement. Um, hopefully, that we can remember that our righteousness does not come from us. It does not come from us. It's not something one day and the next and the next, as I've kind of displayed like taking it off and 
thankfully, God does not look at, look at us in our lack of obedience, our lack of faith, and say, why are you now not a believer? Why are you now a believer? He doesn't look at us like that, but rather putting on the breastplate of righteousness looks like have we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, the Son of God? And if the answer is yes, then we wear the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what about the dark days? What about even in barrenness or even in loss or in betrayal, slavery, when we're forgotten? when odds are stacked against us as high as the Red Sea? What about silence? What about those days? I just want to encourage you this. In those days, ourselves, but we believe that you, God, you can install within us faith in your word, and we ask you this morning for faith in the, in the circumstances that we are battling. God, you know all of the needs in this room. You're aware of the thoughts, the darkness, the unknown places, all of our needs. And God, we just want to cast our So the couple questions we have, we have on the table. Let's, I did email. That, you don't have to grab these. They're easy. You can grab if you want, but these are pretty easy. Can you share a story about a past or current circumstance in life that it is hard for you to believe in God? Everyone has it, right? Sometimes it's 
Jesus. It's like as I went through the stories in these scriptures, I'm like, man, I can't believe how much God loves me. God is with her. God is with you. And it's not that adults can pay for this by the Old Testament, but can you share the story? That's what he wants to talk about with you. We're going to track past the book and into the book. And you never know, maybe there'll be some fruit as a result of the journey you start. The second thing, can you share a story about you believing in God and how you saw him show his faithfulness to you? Can you share a story like that? Someone at your table today may need to hear about your faith in God. Hear about how God met you in a miraculous way. And maybe those two stories are one and the same. For some of us, we may still be waiting on that fulfillment. In some ways, God has already fulfilled uh, some of those stories for us. And then, and then the last thing I would just encourage you, maybe uh, to consider uh, praying today for those who are being tempted to lose heart and to, and metaphorically, take off the breastplate of righteousness. Because right now, you might be in a hard season. 